Hello to all our listeners, and welcome to this edition of Coffee and Conversation, Workplace Wisdom Unleashed. This is the 2020 Parallax Partnerships podcast that we intend to run as a series of conversations entertaining experienced senior business leaders and influencers in the leadership sphere over a cup of coffee, a bicky, and a chat. As well as being an author and speaker, Barta is senior advisor for the performance framework at Equinor, the company previously known as Statoil. Barta has a long international career, both in finance and HR, and is currently heading up the implementation of Beyond Budgeting at Equinor. This is Scandinavia's largest company. Barta is also chairman of Beyond Budgeting Roundtable, the BBRT, and has helped numerous companies globally getting started on their own Beyond Budgeting journey. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. So, hi, Beata. It's a pleasure to welcome you today on Coffee and Conversations, Workplace Wisdom Unleashed. How are you, sir? I'm good, and thank you for uh, inviting me. Uh, I look forward to this. Me too. It's a real pleasure to have this opportunity to have this conversation. As uh, our listeners know, we at Parallax work a lot with organisations who are interested in developing their people and their culture along next generation and distributed leadership lines. And fundamental to that is the understanding that systems of the organization need to be aligned to cultural thinking in order that person-centered cultural change is not unpicked by top-down hierarchical thinking, if you like. And my um, understanding effectively of what you do in the area of implementing beyond budgeting over the last 20 years leaves you ideally placed, having experienced implementing next-stage practices throughout um, Equinor, uh, but also in your helping of other organizations. So it seems like you've got a great view of all of this. And in the light of the current situation as well, it might be worth having a conversation element later on about the COVID situation and what lessons we can learn with regard to that. So where are you on all of this? Well, let me first say that um, beyond budgeting is actually a somewhat misleading name here. The purpose of beyond budgeting is actually not necessarily to get rid of budgets. The purpose is to create organizations which are more adaptive, more human, more agile. And in order to do that, we need to change traditional management. And at the core of traditional management, we find the budgeting process and the budgeting mindset. So that's where the name is um, is uh, coming from but uh, again this is about much more than than budget so every time you hear beyond budgeting um, think business agility because that's basically uh, what it is and uh, we've had long discussions shall we change the name or not um, if you if you have a better one then let us know but it, it better be much better <laughs> um, so uh, and of course Beyond budgeting has one advantage. It has become a, a kind of brand and uh, uh, it also provokes people. So um, if you can use that provocation to to get across and, and explain what this is really about, then then, um, uh, yeah, then it, it serves a purpose. Um, but, you know, beyond budgeting is basically about challenging the two fundamental beliefs that underpins everything in traditional management. Uh, the first one is that people can't be trusted. The second one is that the future is predictable and planable. And we are challenging both those uh, beliefs. As you, uh, as people probably know, 
there are six, uh, sorry, 12 beyond budgeting principles, six on leadership and six on management processes. And if you look at what we address on the leadership side here, uh, purpose, autonomy, values, transparency, uh, it, it's not as such, it's great stuff, but it's not that unique. There are many communities out there, many leadership models talking about exactly the same. But very often they talk about leadership in isolation without, the, without any reflection of what kind of management processes are needed to, to make this happen. And, uh, and then opposite, I mean, there's a, great, a lot of great management models out there with a lot of agility in them, but they, they have not thought uh, much about what kind of leadership is needed to underpin this. And this is what we are doing in Beyond Budgeting, addressing both leadership and management processes and making sure there is a coherence between what we preach on leadership and what we practice on management processes. But I think that is what makes us unique compared to a lot of other great stuff uh, out there. Yeah, I think it steps into this whole area of next stage development as a general principle and this idea of letting go of control and distributing the leadership piece out. But in order for that to happen, uh, you, you have to make sure, as I said in the introduction, the frame isn't the frame of the existing organization isn't basically unpicking all the work that you're now doing with working with the people to encourage them to become more empowered that local teams making sense and respond decisions locally because they have access to information but of course if you don't have that information to hand and it's held by a hierarchically positionally organizationally higher inverted commas person then that is a real dampener to the efficiency and the effectiveness of the organization not to, to not to underpin either the fulfillment of that individual who's trying to get on themselves but you 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 talked about control yeah. um, and that word keeps coming up every time we are talking about beyond budgeting and the 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 uh, the setting is the fear of losing control uh, and it's quite interesting because if you ask or when i ask managers honest people others um what do you mean with control since you are so afraid of losing it after people have said cost control many go quiet they actually struggle <laughs> with with defining what they mean with this word yeah you know there are, there are many definitions out there but the, i mean some of them goes along the uh, it's about it's, it's about kind of uh, it's, it's very much about controlling people and controlling the future and uh, what people haven't understood is that there's a lot of illusions of control here because when it comes to people and uh, trusting people and managing people of course people can be micromanaged but if people are managed in stupid ways they often find their way around in order to get a job done i mean people are smart but that's we don't want them to use their innovation and creativity on on that stuff and when it comes to the future the only thing we know is that we don't know right so so again we are back to these two fundamental beliefs that that we are challenging because they are very much illusions of control indeed have you got some examples personal examples of where you've sort of seen something where there's a classic what doesn't work and what does work when you're applying this letting go well there are many many uh, great examples and, and and seeing companies who again on the leadership side talking uh, about how fantastic people that they have on board and and uh, we would be nothing without you and we trust you so much but not that much 
of course, we need detailed travel budgets, right? Kind of just imagine what would happen if, if we lose up. Again, you're back to this hypocrisy. Yeah. Um, and these kind of examples you find in so many organizations. And one reason they exist, I think, actually might have something to do with finance and HR as functions. Okay. Because uh, HR is uh, kind of very often uh, custodians of the and, and, and preaching the leadership uh, principles, while finance is kind of the master on the um, most of the management processes. And in many organizations, these two functions are like cats and dogs. They talk a lot about each other, not about, and it's not very nice what I said on <laughs> either side. And I know because I've been in both places, yeah. they do not talk a lot with each other. And that is a problem because they don't realize this inconsistency, incoherence in their messages. But out there in the organization, people see it every day because it hits, it hits the same teams and the same tables. So um, that is why uh, I'm so focused on getting finance and HR to work together on, on, um, on these things. And that's a recommendation I give any organization that is embarking on a beyond budgeting journey. If it starts in finance, then team up with HR because together you are so much uh, uh, stronger. Yeah. And I, I sometimes get some strange looks initially when I propose this, uh, but when it happens, people get it. They understand why, uh, why they need to work together. And um, uh, I often say that without wanting to offend my finance colleagues that this stuff is too important to leave to finance. Yeah. I'm, of, course um, need, of course, you need the CEO on board and the executive <coughs> team. But I mean, when you're talking about finance and, and HR or functions, those two functions are, are key here. I, I'm reminded um, of your story, the wedding story or parable, if you like, or metaphor that you, you spoke. Perhaps you might to recount that one again. Uh, when it comes to what kind of decisions we can make for ourselves or not. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so, no, it's quite interesting. I mean, it's... it's uh, uh, and this is, this is back to, I mean... The, uh, the the two hats we, we carry uh, one as uh, an employee uh, because we are all employees uh, even executives are, are employees um, and the other hat is the one we carry as, as a citizen and it's amazing how uh, schizophrenic we are when it comes to carrying these two hats because i mean off work as citizens that we i mean there's so many things we take for granted. I mean, we, we take for granted that we should uh, choose our own leaders uh, in a democracy. We take for, uh, we all agree that the uh, five-year Soviet Union uh, uh, plans is not the best way to, to, to run a an, an, uh, society um, and, and, uh, and so on and so on. And we take for granted that we should be responsible ourselves for making big decisions, like what kind of education we are going to take, uh, who we're going to marry, um, uh, going to buy a house, major investment decision for, for, for a family, and so on and so on. But the moment it becomes morning, we are walking into those company doors, those offices or whatever, suddenly all those beliefs are kind of gone. Then, then we believe in very much the, the, uh, the opposite. Uh, and we fully accept that somebody else should take um, these decisions for us. And, and we strongly believe in, in, in those five-year plans and, 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 and all the other stuff. So it's, it's uh, yeah. 
Yeah, I think it's. I did. I always. I just thought it was quite funny. Uh, the the five year plan scenario is make, always makes me smile. But the plan is basically out of date on day one, or day two, I should say, because environments moved. And I think a story that you once quoted once quoted was around the um, the idea that when your son or daughter comes to you and says, "Dad, I really fancy getting married. I really love this person, and I really want to get married." Uh, your response to them isn't, well, could you come back in October when we're doing the budgets and the capex and getting everything together and then you can put your proposal forward and we'll think about whether or not we can actually approve you getting married. <laughs> it's not kind of the way that we work as individuals, is it? We actually treat <clears throat> our family and our fellow citizens. And interestingly, there's some, perhaps some lessons and parallels with COVID right now. But we're, given, we're being so much more tolerant with people right now. And we're still getting an awful lot, if not more, done, which is just fascinating lesson. And I am curious to know what benefits you think there are from the whole um, agile implementing beyond budgeting principles, next generation principles with the scenario that we're faced in right now. Do you think there's some lessons there? Well, I think that's the only positive thing I can, I can kind of uh, get out of what's happening right now. And that, that is that it is an kind of, it's, it, it becomes again, so blindingly obvious that um, uh, the future is, uh, unpredictable uh, and unplannable. Uh, we've been there before, um, the, the, um, the last financial crash and, and a lot of uh, kind of smaller surprises along the way, but uh, I mean, again, the only thing we know is that we don't know. And, and I hope that this time that, you know, the world is, is full of dead 2020 budgets, right? And um, for those who are, uh, there are organizations that already now are, are starting to plan the 2021 budget and i will only say good luck <laughs> yeah i mean yeah if you can tell me when this is over if you can tell me where the oil price is going if you can tell me where the dollar is going if you can tell me who's going to win the election in the us and so on yeah then maybe you might have some you can draw some scenarios about 2021 but i mean again nobody knows and for me, this really does step into this idea that the more flexible you are, the more able you are to react, to adapt your situation to the current environment you'll find yourself in, which is the mantra of this work that we do, I think, and in terms of creating an organization that can flex, that the whole organization isn't completely stopped or turned by one event over to the right-hand side, as it were. Yeah. Then, then those likely those organisations are likely more to survive. But in a in a more stable environment, they're much more likely to flourish. Um, it seems to me. And uh, do you believe that there's some parallels in terms of resilience in organisations and this ability to flex? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, I, and it is uh, what, what companies going beyond budgeting has in common is that in general they. they, they they perform uh, very well compared to competitors. There was actually a, a study done um, uh, Norwegian business school looking at 100 Norwegian banks and a little handful of these operating without budgets and the rest did. Uh, and guess what? Banks without budgets were more profitable. <laughs> um, so again, I mean, it is about, they are, they are more uh, yeah, yeah. agile. And but when it comes to the agile, you know, it's um, there's so many companies today on uh, huge agile transformation journeys, and what they all have in common is that at one point they realized that they will never achieve that transformation unless they also address what we talk about in beyond budgeting. So we are being called into many of these companies at one point because we are in a way the kind of the, the 
the, the missing link here, uh, or the missing piece in order to get there. By the way, talking about, I struggle, I'm sensitive to words, and I also struggle with, struggle with the label Agile Transformation. Right. Because, um, I'm not criticizing it, but my question is, okay, wh what comes afterwards? When are you done? Yes. And I don't think you're ever done. I mean, this is about continuously developing uh, and improving the way you, you lead and manage. So, um, yeah, I think there's a, there's a definite, um, you want to build this in so that it's an implicit part of the way that you roll as an organization yeah. really, rather than, and, and I'm, I'm really interested to come back to this systemic point that I think you're making. Can you elaborate more on the underpinnings, the mechanisms, if you like, that you work on in the implementing beyond budgeting piece more than, as you say, it's more than just budgets. It's more than the fact yeah. that budgets are for sort of three purposes. That's that we almost part that to one side yeah. in the budgeting game that exists in traditional organizations. You do have this whole gaming effect. If you have a sales budget, did I say that was my 10 million pound sales, but sorry, I meant nine and a half so that I can actually make that extra 500,000 pounds worth of profit. Um, or did I say that my 1 million pound OPEX budget? Sorry, no, no, I've actually got 1.2 million worth of costs next year. So I'm gaming budgets all the time. And that is effectively an ego based function. It's, um, uh, a game that we kind of play in order to preserve ourselves because we're trying to preserve our status, our position, our sense of self-worth in an organization. All of these things are almost more, much more fundamental and systemic underneath that we're trying to address by changing the culture. But you know, I mean, th those, um, what you are describing now, um, those kind of uh, behaviors that we uh, don't want to see and the problems that, that you're describing, it's quite interesting because that is something most executives, managers, finance people, they, they, they know it. They, I mean, and, and to add to what you said, I mean, they know it's a very time-consuming process. They know that assumptions are pretty outdated. They know it stimulates unethical behaviors. They know it makes them rigid and, and, and uh, inflexible and, um, and, and, and so on and so on. So, so the interesting thing is how come most organizations still continue doing this stuff? Um, uh, operating a 100-year-old management technology, it's probably worked a hundred years ago, but definitely not today. But most organizations still, still, still uh, do this stupid stuff. And, and the reason could be that, uh, well, what's the alternative? Right? It's, uh, maybe they haven't heard about beyond budgeting or, or uh, don't get it. But uh, there is, uh, and, and people, people say, well, I, I, yes, I, I would like to, to understand this and, and I would like to understand how to get started. But uh, uh, I mean, this is kind of, this is, big right talking about huge leadership issues and radical changes of management processes yeah so it's big and scary but the good news here is that in beyond budgeting we have actually a simple and logical and not scary and not scary way of getting started which is more kind of linked to the budget as such but if it is a it is a good way of getting started and it is about as you were hinting at asking yourselves why do we budget and when i ask organizations uh, that question they all come up with the same more or less the same list they said that we use the budget for three different purposes the budget is a target sales target production target financial target at the same time these budget numbers shall be a kind of forecast of what next year could look like in terms of cash flows, financial capacity. And the third purpose is resource allocation. Handing out bags of money to the organization once a year 
on, uh, on um, uh, operating cost and on investments. And it might seem very efficient to do and fulfill three purposes in one process and one set of numbers. But, but that's also the problem because what happens, I mean, let, let me give an example. And you were, you were kind of uh, alluding to it, that let's assume we are on our way into a, a budget process uh, and uh, we want to understand cash flows, uh, financial capacity for next year. So we ask uh, salespeople for what's your best number for next year. But everybody knows that the number sent upstairs will come back to them as a sales target for next year, maybe with a sales bonus link to it. And then we know that stuff might happen to, 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 to um, the level of numbers sent, sent upstairs. Upstairs, when the numbers are added together, I mean, it seems to be a bit low, but you know, we are busy, it's budget times, so we have to move to the, the uh, OPEC side, operate, uh, operating cost and investments. So we ask the same people, other people, what's your best number for next year here? But everybody recalls what happened last year when those numbers were cut with 30%. And that memory might also do something to the numbers sent upstairs. And, and you know, we, this is something that we can smile a, a bit about, but it, it's actually a, a quite sad and a serious problem because not just does it destroy quality of numbers, but it stimulates this behavior that we don't want to see, the, the, the sandbagging and the lowballing and so on. And the good news is that we can still do the three things, but we should do them in three different and separate processes because these are different things. A target is an aspiration, it's what we want to happen, while a forecast is an expectation, it's what we think will happen, whether we like what to see or not. And resource allocation is about optimizing scarce resources to get to where we want to, 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 uh, to go. And, and once we have separated, we can start to improve each one in ways impossible when it was all bundled in one number and one process. So how can we set targets that really uh, inspire and motivates us, um, which are more robust against all the VUCA out there. Some organizations continue and at, at one point in time and, and question, do we need all these targets? Can we achieve the purpose of a target in other ways? Um, can we create direction in other ways? Can we uh, motivate people in other ways? Can we reward people in other ways? And the answer is yes. There are great beyond budgeting companies out there operating without targets. Um, then we can move to forecasting. How can we have a lean, simple, unbiased forecasting process where we have taken out the politics, the gaming? That forecast is now just a forecast. It's not a bid into a target negotiation. It's not a, an application for resources. We have different ways of doing that. And last but not least, how can we find alternatives to the traditional way of managing cost? And one key principle that we often recommend is that for specific distinct projects, then instead of once a year handing out bags of, of money for, for projects, have the concept that you mentioned um, a bit earlier, say that the bank is always open. As a line, you can always forward a project for approval. Um, yes or no should depend on how good is it and do we have the capacity to undertake it. So again, uh, if you refer back to agile and continuous delivery, this is continuous delivery of not of software functionality, but of uh, uh, resources and, and decisions and, and resources. Yeah. And, and yeah. the beauty of this is that uh, it's not scary because we still do all the things that the budget tried to do for us. But by separating, um, we can improve each one. And just as important, when you move into those discussions, 
target setting, what really motivates people, resource allocation, do we need detailed travel budgets if we say we trust people? Well, through those discussions, you're actually into the whole beyond budgeting model uh, and, and important discussions about leadership and management processes and the coherence between them. It. So it's a very organic, innocent way to get started. No, it's brilliant. And I'm reminded of, um, I stole inverted commas, a, a phrase that you used in one of your talks from way back uh, when with regard to this, because the transparency function enables people to manage this cost piece, doesn't it? And the, the phrase that's always stuck with me and I've trotted out to other people referencing your good self is there's a reason why fees go out in the night. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this whole idea of if it's kept in the dark, we can hide it. Um, and you know, the, the, my argument is very simple. It's saying if everybody knows the budget, and I see that Chris has gone off and bought twelve bottles of Cristal champagne to have over lunch with three of his friends, and that's public knowledge, I'm very unlikely to do that. A again, because everybody's going to go, "What the heck are you up to, Chris?" For goodness' sake, that's our budget that you're spending. Um, so the transparency piece actually does help with this distribution of ownership and management. So people actually own these budgets and own their ability to actually self-manage. And the other thing that's a huge win here that occurs to me with all of this is that there is so, along with the gaming that goes on as a process, there is then so much time that is devoted to defend the budget that's already out of date and prove I'm right or prove I'm wrong or why I should have this money or why I shouldn't have this money. That's genuine time that's not being devoted to the purpose of the organization, which is whatever it may be, delivering healthcare, delivering uh, petrochemical services to people so that they can transport and move around the world or whatever. But the um, Chris, that time piece is really important, it seems to me. You know, you're releasing efficiency back into the business. I agree. Uh, that is one of the problems with, with, uh, with budgeting, the time spent making and following up. But it's not, people, the problem very often comes up. I don't regard it as the biggest problem. I think the, the dysfunctional behaviors uh, is, is an even, even bigger problem. For sure, for sure. But if, if I could come back to the transparency, because, um, you know, we talked about control and um, losing control. And uh, I would argue that, yes, we shall lose some controls. We should lose the bad controls but we should have more of what I would call good controls. And transparency is an example of a good control mechanism. Uh, But, and this is important, it is very powerful control mechanism and you have to apply it with wisdom. If it becomes naming and shaming, then it doesn't work. And you should always position transparency more from a learning perspective than from a control perspective, right? I mean, how can we learn from each other if everything is secret? And this control effect you get, in in any case, uh, as a nice side effect. But uh, um, learning is a kind of, uh, that that is a uh, kind of a positive context to to put it into. Um, And certainly the essence for me for transparency has always been around the opportunity for people to make local decisions so they can learn, develop and grow much more quickly and react to the local scenario that they find themselves in. And not having to trip your way all the way back up the chain of command to get approvals, which is just such a slowing process. So for me, it's always been around the purpose, the personal development and opportunity. And we and we know now, I kind of draw it back a little bit to today, that when we have a very, very clear shared purpose, boy, do we harness our activity. And that for sure is what's going on right now, wouldn't you say? Absolutely, absolutely. And there's also a link to, to transparency here because, I mean, transparency also uh, 
must include, uh, I mean, full clarity on on strategy, on direction, and and and, uh, and of course purpose. Uh, and and um, the stronger we are on 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 a shared purpose and on on uh, uh, direction that everybody understands, the the uh, uh, the more that kind of enables these local local decisions. So, if you had um, a recommendation, one sort of key message that you wanted to pass on to. The, uh, the people, the leaders, senior leaders listening to this podcast, what would that be? Get started. <laughs> Check out Beyond Budgeting. Get started. I mean, if not now, then when? Absolutely. That's my message. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, look, thank you very much. That's been really interesting. A great conversation. And um, I hope it's more uh, one of many that we'll have over the coming months. Thanks very much, Barton. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Barta today. It's really interesting to hear from someone who is applying these principles in the workplace. The major advantages that you see from making information available and adopting more flexible, devolved work practices can really help a business operate more effectively and efficiently. As ever, I'm reminded of a quote, and today this one's by George Bernard Shaw, who simply said, If you have an apple and I have an apple and we exchange these apples, then you and I will still each have one apple. But if you have an idea and I have an idea and we exchange these ideas, then each of us will have two ideas. That seems very appropriate. And until next time, to you and your families, stay well and stay safe. If you've enjoyed this episode of Coffee and Conversation Workplace Wisdom Unleashed, then please remember to subscribe to the podcast and share on your social media channels. Equally, if you would like to give us some feedback, suggest future guests, share your stories or find out more about leadership, team and organisational development, we would love to hear from you. Do contact us via our LinkedIn pages. These links can be found in the description associated with this episode. Ready to unleash your workplace wisdoms? Well, what are you waiting for?